We've been looking together at this, this series on spiritual eyes, how we see the world through the way that God sees it and try and understand it together. And our, our passage together is, if I can get this to work, is this going to work? There we go. Is from Ephesians 6.12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's just what we sung about. Above all powers... Right? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And we've been looking together, what, what does that really mean? What is our battle that we're supposed to be engaged in? What does this verse mean? And so we've been looking together, that, and we said that the Bible splits if you like, the world into two realms. There's the physical realm that we know about and the physical and the spiritual realm. And God, when he created, he created the Elohim, which is the sort of generic term, if you like, for the spirit world, angels, demons, etc., cherubim, seraphim, and so on. He created the spiritual realm and he created the physical realm, humanity. And the Bible speaks about these two realms all the way through. And we describe how the Eden was the first kind of council room, if you like, where God came and the physical and the spiritual, in a sense, joined together here on earth. And God, in his council chamber, he sat there on the throne and he gave his requests or his commands to the spiritual and to the physical realm. And in the physical realm... He said this to us. He blessed us and he said to us, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. In other words, we were to be God's image taken from Eden. Adam and Eve were supposed to go from Eden and spread Eden throughout the whole world to be his image. He blessed them. He gave them that capacity and he said, in effect, bring Eden to the rest of creation. In the New Testament, we, we talk about the kingdom of God. Bring the kingdom of God wherever you go. And Jesus says, as you're going, make disciples. It's all the same, the same thing, right? Right throughout the pages of scripture. This is what we are to do. But then we looked at it last week and the problem is that we don't like taking orders, do we? Do you remember when you were young? How many of you delighted when your parents gave you orders? Right? None of us. We hate taking orders. And it doesn't get much better when we're older, does it? I mean, we, we kind of assess whether we like the order or whether we think the order has some merit or whether it's going to benefit us. And if it does, then maybe we'll go and do it. But otherwise, this is ridiculous. I was driving... Uh, out in London last night, late, taking someone home from the worship. And there's like nobody on the streets. And they have a 20 miles an hour. I mean, I see, I see people in wheelchairs going faster than me, right? It's 20 miles an hour. And there's no one there. You kind of think, you know, I see a tortoise overtaking me on the, on the site. You know, that's how slow it felt like I was... And you just think, this is ridiculous. I mean, yeah, when there's kids and it's busy, I get that, right? It's dangerous to go too fast. But at like 10.30 at night when nobody's around, the street is empty. 
20 miles an hour? Of course, being a pastor of a church, I went 19 the whole way. Sorry, Lord. But you know, we, we assess it, don't we? And we think, this is ridiculous. And it's the same, right? The spiritual world didn't like, the, the Elohim didn't like to take orders from God. And they said, you know, we're not doing this. We want to we wanna be the order giver, not the order receiver. And in the same way, they felt, and we looked at that in Isaiah and Ezekiel, Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, in the same way that we did with saying, God, we don't like all your rules. We're going to do what we want to do. We want to do it our way and not your way. And there are consequences, as we looked at last time. The consequence, come on, was Genesis 6 with the, the Rephidim that we looked at last time and for humanity in the spiritual world. They said, we're going to set up our own images made in our own fallen image instead of doing what God wanted us to do. And in the physical realm, Genesis 11 that we looked at last week, the Tower of Babel. We're going to bring God down to where we want God to be. We're going to do it our way. We're not going to be scattered over the whole world as God asked us to do and take his image everywhere. We're going to settle here because this is comfortable. This is what we want to do. And we're going to build this tower so that God will come down where we want God to be under our terms, our conditions, in our way. And that's what we did. We looked at that last time. There's a, one picture of somebody's image of the Tower of Babel. But the thing is, as we spoke about it last week, it wasn't, it's not just about that our doing it our way. There is a deeper thing that is going on in this passage in Genesis 11 that I want to look at today. Because at Babel, God judged humanity and started something new. Now you find this in Deuteronomy 32, verses 8 and 9. Let's look at this together today. It says, When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided all mankind. Now that's Babel, right? That's when that happened. Just before Babel, what you have in Genesis 10, 32, this is the last verse of Genesis chapter 10, just before the Tower of Babel, it says there, these are the clans of Noah's sons, according to their line of descent within their nations. From these, the nations spread out over the earth after the flood. So you have the flood, you have Noah, you have his sons. They fulfilled part of that. They they were fruitful, they multiplied, and then you have 70 offspring that are listed to the sons of Noah. And it says they started to scatter over the whole world, right? So they started to do what Genesis 1.28 told us to do, to be fruitful, multiply, go and fill the earth. So that's, this is the context of this passage. Now let's go back. Let's go back. Now I'm again. Come on. Back to 
verse 32. So when the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, this is talking about Babel again. When he divided all mankind, he set up boundaries for the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. For the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob is his allotted inheritance. Now what does that mean? It's one of those verses, if you were to read the Bible, you would read it and go, uh-huh, and then just walk on by. But what does it mean? It says, he divided up all the nations. So we get that bit, right? Babel, all the 70 sons, and he gave them, he said, these are the areas, the land that you're going to have. But he gave it according to the number of who? The sons of was that? That's the Elohim. So what God did was he changed his plan. Well, he started something new anyway. It wasn't like the old plan, but he started something new. So what he did was he spread out his Elohim across the globe. And we'll see it in unpack it a little bit later but he said this portion Israel is going to be mine so basically he said as the the people spread out in their geographical if you like countries each country or each area will have an Elohim over it do you understand so in other words think of it like this England has a queen over it, or a parliament, or whatever you want, right? President Boris over us. But over England, God has established an Elohim to look after that land. So in the spiritual realm, there is, in a sense, a ruler. And in the physical realm, there is a ruler. Okay, you with me? You'll see, this is really important. You've got to get this before we go on, right? Now, I don't know, and the Bible doesn't say how big these areas are. So I don't know if Harrow has its own Elohim, right? Under Amer, or whether it's London, or whether it, the Bible doesn't say how big these areas are. It just says that God apportioned these Elohim over every nation except one. And the nation that was God's was Israel. Okay? Let's see how this works. You with me? Sheila's with me, that's good. Let's go on. But you never heard this before, have you? Let's look at how it works. God in Israel set up a new nation through Abraham, right? And he blessed Abraham in Genesis 12, and he said these words. The Lord has said to Abraham, go from your country. He was in Ur of the Chaldees, right? 
your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you. And then there's seven I am's in the, or I wills in the Abrahamic blessing, right? All about God. This doesn't depend on Abraham. He says, this is what I'm going to do. And when God says he's going to do something, he's going to do it, right? He says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So what's he, what's he saying here? Because we rebelled, because we said we don't want to do this God's way, we're going to do it our way, God said, I'm going to set up, I'm, I'm going to love demands that I let you go. Right? Love cannot control, can it? It ceases to be love. So God said, okay, if that's what you want to do, but, and the Elohim said the same thing pretty much. Pride came that we looked last time. He let him go. But he said, I'm going to set up a place which will follow me. I want you to know what you could have had. I want you to know what it's like when you really follow me. And if you look, we, we won't do it this week, but if you look in Genesis, um, in Deuteronomy 28, the blessings and the cursings. In Deuteronomy 28. You look at the blessings that God promises if they follow him. It's like Eden all over again. I'll send rain when you need rain. I'll send sunshine when you need sunshine. I'll give you the most abundant crops you can hope for. Right? You won't have to worry about any of your enemies because I'll look after you. Everything that goes on there, you'll be fruitful. You'll increase in number. Everything will be just like Eden again. And so God said, I'm going to, through Abraham, I'm going to have this little bit of land to show you what could be. But also, it's a way that you can return. Because if you look at them and you say, why is God blessing them and not blessing us? Why, why are they being this chosen, blessed nation? Why are they like just amazing? And we're languishing like this. It gives you an opportunity and they go, well, if you follow, if you follow God, if you do what we should have done in Eden, then there's a way back. Now the problem is that the Elohim who were over the nations rebelled. So God spread out these Elohim and they decided this is a good deal. We're going to rebel. Psalm 82. Amazing psalm. Look what it says. This is God judging these Elohim. It says, God presides in the great assembly. He renders judgment among the gods. Right? Not on us. This is against the Elohim. How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. The gods know nothing. They understand nothing. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods. You're all sons of the Most High. But you will die like mere mortals. You will fall like every other ruler. Rise up, O God. Judge the earth for all the nations are your inheritance. It's a psalm that describes the judgment against these Elohim, right? Because the Elohim 
didn't follow God either. The ones that were over the nations. And they were, Psalm 82 describes how they were basically leading people astray in action. They were not defending the poor and so on. And then spiritually they were in darkness. And God says, I'm going to judge you because you're not doing what you should be doing just as humanity isn't. But how does all this work? What is it? How does it, how does it really work out? Let's look at a few passages today. The world is broken. Broken spiritually, broken physically. We see it everywhere. The first example I want to give to you is from 2 Kings chapter 5. And here, Naaman is the commander of the Assyrian army. And Naaman, although he's the commander of the, sorry, Aramean army, and although he's the commander, he has leprosy. And it's, a, it's an embarrassment to him, and here he is, the commander, but here he is with a skin disease. But he has a slave who comes from Israel. And this slave girl says to him, if you were to go to Israel, I know a prophet there, and I'm sure that prophet can fix you, can heal you. So off he goes. He gets permission from his king, and he marches with his entourage. And he comes to the king of Israel, because that's what you would do, and say, hey, here I am, heal me. Because he's going into God's territory, right? The king of Israel goes, I'm toast, because I don't know how to heal anybody. And somebody in his court says, send for, send for Elijah. Elisha, rather. And he sends, and he, he goes to Elisha's house. And Elisha doesn't bother coming out the house. He just says, tell that guy out there, the commander with all his army, tell him to go wash himself seven times in the Jordan. And Naaman's really ticked off, right? Imagine somebody comes to your house and you send, you send your kid out, and I'll just tell him to go do this, right? And I can't be bothered. To come myself, I'm busy. EastEnders is on, right? Whatever. So he's here. He is. This he's head of the army, and Elisha can't even be bothered to go out. So just go washing the Jordan, and he gets the hump, right? He goes, "Oh, this is ridiculous. We've got loads of rivers back where I come from that are much better than the Jordan. I'm not going." And that slave girl says, "Like, hey, if it had told you to go and do something really difficult, would you have gone and done it?" He said, "Well, of course." So he said, well, why don't you just go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, like he said? Well, you've got to lose. So he does. He humbles himself, and he washes himself seven times. And God heals him, this Aramean commander. Let's go on. And this is what it says, verse 15. It says, then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God, that's Elisha. He stood before him and said, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. If you will not, because Elisha already said no, 
He said, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive when your servant for this one thing, when my master enters the temple of Rimmon to bow down and he is leaning on my arm and I have to bow there also. When I bow down in the temple of Rimmon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace, Elisha says. Now let me ask you, why did he collect as much earth as he could to stick on a couple of mules to take back with him. He asked for two things. Number one, well, number two, forgive me when I have to bow down to this other God. That we can get, right? Why did, why did he have to, why did he want to go carry all this earth back? Was it fertilized? Was it good stuff? Was it stuff that you buy in the local garden center that can improve your rose bushes? Why does he want a bit of Israel? Because God, the Elohim, the gods are geographical. And he, in his understanding, was saying, I'm going to take God back with me when I take the geography with me. Right? God's big G, God, little g, are geographical. That's what I said earlier. God, little gods, the Elohim. And he says, I know that the Elohim, Rimmon and all these others, are not the real God. They're not the king. They're not the one who can heal because only your God in Israel can heal. So let me take some of your God back through this earth, back to where I am. Because otherwise, how can I worship your God in a place that hasn't geographically got any of your stuff in it? Do you understand? Let me give you another example. The Assyrian army came in and deported Israel up in the north, right? Judah was still there in the south. And what the Assyrian army did, which was kind of logical, was that they took people and they moved them en masse. So it's like, let, let's, say, uh, let's say somebody, uh, the Vikings come and they take over England, right? And what they did was, what they were going to do was they, they would move all of us up to Scotland and all the Scots down to England. Well, actually, they'd move the Scots into Wales and the Welsh into England, right? Got the picture? So we're all up in Scotland. Why would they do that? They did that because would we bother fighting for Scotland? No. Right? But we would fight for our homeland. Look at Ukraine right now. So they moved, like, whole populations around because they figured if we move them all out... They're not going to fight us for land that is not their land. But they would fight us if we leave them where they are. There will be uprisings and everything else. Kind of logical, right? So en masse, with a fish hook through their mouths, they used to tie them together 
that sounds awful, doesn't it? With a fish hook on long lines, and they marched them, the whole nation, out of Israel. And it says they, the Assyrians brought the people from Babylon, from Kutha, Ava, Hamath, all, where all these places are, and they settled them in the towns of Samaria in, in Israel, up in the north, right? To replace the Israelites who they sent off to Babylon, right? Off into exile. They took over Samaria and they lived in its towns, okay? Got the picture? Look at this. When they first lived there, they did not worship the Lord, so, they sent, so he sent lions among them and killed some of the people because they weren't worshiping him. It was reported to the king of Assyria, the people you deported and resettled in the towns of Samaria do not know what the God of that country requires. And he sent lions among them which are killing them off because the people do not know what he requires. Do you get the same picture? So there's these people in Israel, they have no idea what the God of Israel requires of them because there's nobody left here. And then this lion comes and starts killing them all off. And they're going, hey, you've put us here and we don't know what to do to appease the God that's over this land. So what they do is they send this message to the king in Assyria. The king in Assyria sends one of the prophets back who goes back and sets up camp at Bethel and says, this is what you need to do to worship the Lord. And as soon as they do that, they stop getting killed by lions. And it says, so they worship the Lord, but they also serve their own gods in accordance with, with the customs of the nations from which they've been brought. They weren't going to abandon their culture and their traditions, but they had this mindset that says, and this understanding that says, you know, the, the God of Israel, well, we have to worship him. Otherwise, trouble's going to come because geographically we're in his land. Right? And we have to obey the God of that land. You get in the picture? Let's move on. New Testament. How does this work? Oh no, this is the Old Testament. In the Bible, before we go to New Testament, as I said, there were 70 sons of uh, Noah. In Exodus 24, when the Lord, this is where they kind of... Uh, agree the covenant with God how many elders are sent 70 why because 70 in the Bible is the picture if you like of the whole world whenever you see 70 it means that it's a representation and God says I want you to bring 70 of the elders up to worship at a distance but to worship me because they're going to represent the whole world when I give you the law. Let's just skip through this. In Luke 10, Jesus is with his disciples. First of all, he sends out in Luke 9, I think, he sends out the 12 to go and minister, right? 12 disciples representing Israel, the 12 tribes. In Luke 10, he sends out 70 
some say 72, but to represent the whole world. I'm going to send you out into the whole world. And he says, this is what I want you to do. Heal the sick who are there and tell them that the kingdom of God has come near you. What is he doing? Why is he doing this? They go out. They do what they're told. They heal the sick. They preach that the kingdom of God has come near. And when they come back, do you remember what it says? Jesus says these words. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Why? Because when he sent them out, they started to take territory back from the enemy. Israel had been deserted, if you like, by God, right? Because they deserted him. Israel was an abandoned place. They weren't following as they should have been. They were following other gods. They weren't following the true God, the God of Israel. But when Jesus came and he started to send the people out, look what happens. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the spiritual authorities. And when these guys started to go out, the 70, and started to heal the sick, and started to to preach that the kingdom of God was coming, what were they doing? They were doing what we were told to do in Eden. And they started to take back the territory that the enemy, the fallen Elohim, had under their grasp. Right? And Jesus said, Hey, I saw Satan falling. The Bible says this, Harrow is under fallen Elohim. There is a spiritual darkness where we live. And it's your job and my job to do this. Church is not about Christians coming together, having a little worship service and going away again. Jesus says, as you are going about your business, bring the kingdom, make disciples. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in the heavenly realms, in in your courts. What does he want you and me to do? We have to take back the territory that the enemy has under their control. You, you can go out here and we can start setting up programs to deal with the drug abuse in the community, the alcoholism, the broken families and everything else in a physical way. But unless you deal with it in a spiritual way, nothing changes. You're just dealing with the problem, you're not dealing with the root. Harrow, the world, 
is under spiritual darkness. And the church is here to bring spiritual light, to take back territory for the kingdom of God. That's what he got those disciples to start to do. That's why we are to, to go out and be the church. He never said, come together on a Sunday morning and have a worship service. You tell me where that is in the Bible. He says, as you're going about your business, bring the kingdom. Bring it at work. Bring it, bring it with your friends. Bring it in your homes. Bring it when you go to the shops. Bring it everywhere. In fact, we are kingdom bringers. How do I know that? Because in Corinthians it says this. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you have the Holy Spirit inside you, wherever you go, you bring God's presence into that place. That's who we are. Now this, this is a passage talking about sexual immorality. But the truth of the matter is that it, it goes beyond that. We are temples of the Spirit. The Spirit lives within each one of us. And wherever we go, we bring or we have an opportunity to bring the presence of God into that. And when you do that, you're coming against the fallen Elohim. Do you understand? So when we go out and start cleaning streets and praying door to door, what are we doing? We're taking territory back from the enemy. And if you go with any other mindset, it won't work. Because our battle is not against flesh and blood, it's against these spiritual forces of darkness here and up there. And we need to understand what we're engaging in when we go. Sunday, this, as I said, is our training center. This is where we learn. This is where we prepare. This is where we get ready to go out. This is not church. Church is out there. Church is when we go and do God's work. You can't do God's work in here. Maybe in a limited way. But really, God's work comes out there when we become engaged against the fallen Elohim that have taken over our world. Wouldn't you love to see Harrow transformed? Wouldn't you? I would. I'd love to see the kingdom of God come to Harrow. I'd love to see people's lives blessed. I'd love to see people's lives just transformed. I'd love to see Northwick Park empty. I'd love to see, you know, like no poverty, no homelessness, no drug abuse, no trafficking, no prostitution, no all these things that the enemy has in the palm of his hand and is delighting in ripping people apart. I walk home from here and I see people standing on the corner over there waiting for their drug fix day in and day out. And it just breaks my heart. I see these guys sitting on the steps out the front and it breaks my heart because their whole world is just, that's it. Wait for the next fix. Get enough money for the next one and the next one. And they're, they're captive 
under these spiritual forces of evil that are destroying their lives. And the answer is not to invite them in here, it's for us to go out there. That's what it is to be a believer in Jesus Christ. This is not what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. What it means is you talk to your neighbors and when you move into their house because they invite you in for coffee, you know you're bringing the kingdom of God into their presence. And you pray. And you minister. And you allow the spirit to flow through you in those moments. Because that's what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's the beauty of Harrow. Gorgeous, isn't it? But we need to be on our knees praying for this place. God never wanted many little o o oasis of his spirit. He wants to cover this place with his presence. He wants this to be Eden or Israel as it was meant to be. And he's chosen you and me to do it. We do it by small steps. We do it by putting our trust in him. We do it by understanding what we're doing but knowing that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ and therefore given to you and me as temples of the Holy Spirit. And we have the authority to take ground. Load your mules with the earth and we need to get going. Father, For too long, your churches have just been satisfied with being right here in a building. But that's not the church of Jesus Christ. That's not what it is to be church. That's not what it is to engage in the spiritual forces of evil in, in this dark world. That's not what it is to break the chains of injustice that's not what it is to beautify the city. That's not what it is to bring Eden or the kingdom of God. And we pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done, and we just march on as though we have no part to play. Which is like God turn up. It's not what it is. Lord, not only teach us, but inspire us and fill us. May we be overflowing temples, not empty temples of your Holy Spirit. That wherever you take us this week, we will take ground for you.
teach us what it means to be disciples. What it means to be ambassadors for you. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.